This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 32. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. But truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We ask that you will give us grace and mercy, that you'll speak deep into our hearts with your word, Lord. That you'll plant it inside our hearts and and cause it to, to sprout and bear fruit. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want you guys to, to, to as we trek through the book of Acts, continue to, to stay connected to the narrative of what was, what's going on. Continue to connect the dots like sermon after sermon after sermon. Continue to walk with the flow of what's going on. Don't disconnect these these. these these sermons, because they all connect to the grand narrative of everything that you're going to see happening in the book of Acts. Like this week, we, this is more like part two or part three to the last couple of weeks. We're going from that time when they, they was going to the synagogues, Peter and, and, and John was going to the synagogues, and they saw the, the lame guy, and they healed the lame guy. Remember that? And then the lame guy... Oh, got healed, and then Peter and John ended up going to court for healing this lame guy. And then they got threatened while they was in court. This is what we're, we're flowing from. So what, what's going on today is flowing from, from that. So just diving in, looking at verses 23 and 24, after they got out from, from court, it says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. I hope that while we, we go into this, the thing that we, we see 
much in what community life looked like for the believers, right? It wasn't this solo mission. It wasn't we all just doing our own thing, but these people was living life together. I mean, there were certain things that was just a regular, certain thing that just made sense to do because they got so used to doing it. Like, it made perfect sense to, to share what happened. Like, in our community, it should make perfect sense to share with your community the ups and downs of your life. It should make perfect sense to, to share and walk through those things together. That should make perfect sense. But a lot of times we try to guard our hearts and we don't want to share this and we don't want to share that. And we live this, this solo thing. Even if we're in community with people, we don't really want to let people know what's really going on. But this is what's regular to them. Like, man, they're getting out. Like, man, they immediately went and shared with their friends. Like, y'all ain't see us in the, that time we went to, to prayer. This is what happened. It made, it made sense. And, and, and then it was together on one accord. That's what he said. They was together on one accord, and they started to pray. It was instinctive of them to go right into, into prayer. They didn't have to spend a long time wondering whether or not they should pray about this, but it was just second nature to them. Sharing was second nature. Praying was second nature. It was ingrained into who they were. It wasn't this thing that they had to think long about how to do. Prayer had become just an, an unconscious thing, which means that they didn't have to Think about how to do it. Sort of like when you go to tie a shoelace, you don't got to think about how to tie it. You remember this loop right here, then you go like that. You remember to do those things. You go to brush your teeth. You don't think about how to brush your teeth. You're like, oh, what do I do next? Down. No, you don't think that. It's unconscious because you know it and you've been practicing to do it. They've been practicing this. The liturgies make a difference. Your practices make a difference. The things that you do over and over and over again condition and, and, and put you in a place so that when, when life hits you, what you've been practicing to do is what you do automatically, not really trying to think about it. It wasn't like, like okay, I did everything that we could do. Okay, I guess we'll pray now. Prayer wasn't this event event. Prayer was natural to the DNA of their lives. So when they got together, it was natural to share. And they was all together on, on one accord. We're hearing this thing again. And then it was natural to just go to God in prayer because we are in this relationship with God. And this world is much bigger. And, and the only way that we walk this thing out is by trusting in him. And, and it's not like let's just pray after something happened. Like we'll pray before something happened for wisdom as we go through. Because this is our life now. Not a portion of our life. Right. Not a part of our life. It is our life. This is the very DNA of who we are. The practice of it. The liturgies, there's practices that you do inside of your life right now. That because of those practices, you react a certain way to things. Yep. Let me go on. Verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, 
who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. It's a few important things to, to notice about the posture of their prayer, right? few important things to notice, like they dive in and they're, they're praying to God. And this is, this is what we have to always understand, the posture of our prayer. They go in and they don't just say, Lord, this, but they've like made this introduction because they, they're posturing their heart to, to look at God in a certain way. Like God that made the heavens and the earth, everything inside the earth, like they said, sovereign Lord, they were making it plain how they viewed God as sovereign over everything that existed. Yes. How they viewed God as in control over everything, bigger than everything. That's why when they talk about who made the earth, everything inside the earth, who made the heavens, that's to talk about his bigness. Like when we pray, see, sometimes we go to God and we pray, and we pray in a sense of, not even like in our heart. Like we know that we should pray, so we do pray, but we pray a lot of times in like this defeated way. Yeah. This way that's like, well, hopefully God may influence the situation. Uh-huh. Like when you pray, it's like, listen, it's like you need to pray that says, that says, who's sovereign right here? God or this thing that I'm praying and concerning to? Who's sovereign right here? God or what they said? God or, 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 or the sickness? God, like you're praying in a way that says God is sovereign. You're praying in such a way that, that God is in control, not the sickness. God is in control, not the issue. And you're acknowledging these things. God is bigger. You're looking at the issue you're praying about in context to how big God is. That's the reality that you pray in. Yes. You just put things in perspective. Come on. The attributes of God, the understanding of the attributes of God become the tone and the backdrop of our prayer. Yes. Yes. This is big when you look at that. That's what they're doing right here, and it's so significant to how we should pray. And I'm not just talking about the words that come out of our mouths. I'm talking about the realities of our heart. And then while they're praying, he gets to this point where he says, why does the nations rage and and, and the Gentiles imagine a vain thing? That's from Psalms 2. In the midst of their prayer, the Lord leads them to Psalms 2, to Scripture, and in, in relation to what they're going through. See, it's important to hear God speak through Scripture about current things that's happening right now. Yeah. Like, we can't just, just disassociate it, disassociate it and just put it like, but that's history, this is right now. But, but 
There's nothing new under the sun. And then God has these things in Scripture. Like if you can hear his voice speak to you through the Bible, even though these things happened thousands of years ago, it's speaking to you about this right here today. And if you're hearing him speak through through Scripture, you will be able to connect the dots. We got to be able to do that because the Bible is eternal. It's not just a history book. It has historical things inside of it, but it's eternal and relevant right here, right now. When God uses those things he spoke about right then to speak about things right now, too. So, They quote Psalms 2, and Psalms 2 is extremely significant in why they quoted it. Now let's look at it. In verse 26, this is the part that came from Psalms 2. He says, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. That's that's the one that's, that's, he's quoting Psalms 2. In 27, he's not quoting Psalms 2 anymore. What he's doing is relating Psalms 2 to their current events. Yep. So he says in 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, again, against your anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Now, something really, really, really significant happened here, and I hope you see it, but if not, we're going to talk about it. It's interesting. In Psalms 41 and 13, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. In Psalms 72 and 18, it says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And there's many, many more scriptures that talk about the relationship of God and Israel. Israel represented God. Israel was the people of God. It was the the voice of God. That's what Israel was. And then the Gentile worlds, they, they, they were the non-believers. They didn't believe in God, and, and thus they was against Israel. And if you was against Israel, you was also against God because you were coming against the people of God. And all this time, things are building up, and there's all this tension between Israel and the Gentiles because of oppressions from the Gentiles and, and then government structure that was, that was built by the Gentiles that was, that was seen as an enemy to Israel and an enemy to God. That's why people expected the Messiah to come and overthrow the Gentile Roman government. Whenever the Messiah would come, everyone was expecting. There's one thing we all, they all agreed on. He's going to come. He's going to overthrow the Roman government because the Roman government was oppressing Israel. And if you're oppressing Israel, you're against God. So before the Roman government, um, the Gentiles, they were against Israel and God. But now, when Peter rephrases this thing, it's the Roman government, the Gentiles, and Israel in cahoots together against God. This is significant here. In 2070, it says, for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, that's the Roman government, along with the Gentiles, the non-believers, and the people of Israel. Now, there's been a switch. Israel, who used to to represent God, is now lumped in with the non-believers against God. The thing that we need to ask is, is why? What changed? And why is that important to us today as the church? What changed is this. Israel's rulers, the people of God, they, they, they started to put their hope in kingdoms and systems that weren't the kingdom of God. This is important to get. They started to put their hope in governmental structures. They started to put their hope in these other kingdoms that weren't the kingdom of God. See, when you put your faith and hope in systems and structures outside of the kingdom of God, we align ourselves with those very systems and structures against the kingdom of God. That's what ends up happening. There's no gray area there. There's no both and. Either you are a part of the kingdom of God or you're serving some other kingdom. There's no gray area right there. So when they make this point and they point this thing out, it's pointing out something very, very significant. That's very important to us, the church, who, who, who represent him. See, when they were standing in front of the council, when they was being, when they was at, at, at court, the people, they didn't say, Stop performing miracles. They didn't say stop healing people. They didn't say stop casting out demons. The only thing they asked them not to do is don't point to Christ. Like you can go ahead and do those things if you want, but don't point to Christ in the midst of it. See, the world doesn't mind our our good works. We can go do tons of good works over and over. They don't mind. Do all the good works you want. Just don't point to Christ in the midst of it. Do all the good things you want to do. We want those things. Just don't tell us about the gospel. The reason thing is because sometimes people don't want you to preach the gospel because then they have to wrestle with the implications of the gospel. Just do the good works. Imagine them. If, If they was to accept what they were saying about why they was doing these things, that means that the person that they killed actually was God. If they were to wrestle with those implications, that means the person that we murdered, not only was he God, also he came back alive, and we're on the opposing side. People don't want to hear that. Just tell me the good things. Just do the good things. Don't tell me about God because don't tell me about the gospel and the realities of it because after a while I start to realize I'm on the opposing side. 
So we have this tendency to do that, and we, and we, and we serve these other kingdoms. Thinking that we're serving the kingdom of God, but we're so wrapped up in, we're so engrafted in these other kingdoms, we got to check our heart and see where your heart really at. Are you really part of the kingdom of God? I'm like, like some of the kingdoms that, that, that we get caught up serving, some of those kingdoms is like, like, like political kingdoms. Sometimes you could tell whether or not a person is serving a political kingdom or even yourself if you want to start wrestling with it. It's like when the only times you point out something that seems to, 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 to reflect the kingdom of God is when the political views that you believe and party that you believe in is the one that puts it out. But you are a blind eye to, to, to what other people put out that aren't the same party, but that also does support what the Bible says too. But you won't say nothing about that. Why? Because if you say something about that, you risk making it seem like you're supporting them. I would support these guys over here. But if you're supporting the kingdom of God, I don't care if it comes from the left or the right. It's the kingdom of God and it's worth being lifted up. Then all the same time, turning a blind eye to deep sin inside your own party. These are the things that should cause us to really, really check our hearts. It's the same thing for race issues. It's the same thing for social status issues. And one of the biggest, biggest, biggest kingdom that we serve is the kingdom of self. My kingdom. Let me do me. See, Israel represented God back then, and the church represents God right now. So the truth about Israel back then is the truth about the church right now. Here's that reality. Not everyone that's a part of Israel is really Israel, which also means not everyone that you see inside the church is really the church. That's the reality that people don't want to really talk about. Not everyone that you see in the building is really in the building. See, we'll we'll use other kingdoms as a platform to address things that mean much to the kingdom of God, but not for the sake of the kingdom of God. Really, it's for the sake of those other kingdoms. And, And the reality of it, the outsiders, they know that. So they'll, they'll leverage that to get your support. You end up using the kingdom of God as a tool to serve the kingdoms your heart is really aligned with. Really, you're disconnected from the kingdom of God. That's why in Matthew 7, verses 22 to 23, it reads, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You were serving some whole other kingdom. Let me go through. Verses 29 and 30. He says, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to hell. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, the implications of the threat was real implications. Like, the people that they was talking to are the people that killed Jesus. So the threats was real. These weren't just idle threats. Like, when he says, don't do this anymore, it's sort of like, you know what we're talking about, right? So imagine how they felt as they left. Like, shoot, really? Man, here's the reality of it. We may get killed too. When you know that the threat is real, the fear that the threat may actually come true may cause you to shrink back. They was wrestling with real fear and a real temptation to cower under the weight of that fear. Knowing you know that if I do this, I may really get rejected. If I do it, I may really get brushed off. If I do it, I may really deal with this thing right here. And sometimes it's not even a real threat of persecution. It's the idea that it might happen. And I'm already shrinking back. But that was a real deal for them. But how they prayed is significant because they didn't pray for God to remove the threat. But instead, they prayed for boldness in the face of that threat. That's ridiculous. Because I'll be like, Lord, kill them. (laughs) Blot them from the face of the earth, Lord. They didn't pray for personal security. It wasn't about protecting themselves. Right. You got to understand, them not doing that is a, is, a, is, a, is a reflection of a relational covenant that they have with God. Yeah. It's sort of like a marriage. When you get married, you enter that relationship trusting one another. You don't enter that relationship with the expectation that something is going to happen, so you leave yourself vulnerable. I mean, because of sin and brokenness, sometimes that hurt. But God is the perfect relationship. So if your focus becomes trying to protect yourself from the worst case scenario, then you turn away from serving your spouse in order to serve yourself because you're trying to protect yourself. If your focus is trying to protect yourself from the worst case scenario, then you turn from serving God because you're busy trying to serve yourself and protect yourself, not trusting God to be God. They was trusting God's sovereignty concerning his part. Their concern was praying to God for strength and grace concerning their part. Concerning you, Lord, that's not my issue. It's me. It's my heart. So they prayed for boldness. So many times we don't, we don't do what God has called us to do because we're too busy protecting ourselves. It's like God puts it on your heart to be generous, but, but you shrink back because you're like, but what about my bills? 
God puts it on your heart to, to do this particular thing, but you think about the, the, the thing that may hinder it or the thing that may be side effects from it, so you shrink back from doing it. As opposed to, all right, Lord, you put this on my heart. I'm trusting you, and I'm doing it. You're the one that told me to do it. Another thing you see inside this prayer is that they had a heart for people and a heart for God. Like, in the midst of all this, where, we, where they could be spending time praying that God would, would stop it, praying that God would fight against it. Instead, they're over here praying, Lord, keep healing. Yes. Keep healing people, Lord. Yes. And in the midst of your healings, do signs and wonders that point towards you. Yes. That's their biggest concern. They have a heart for people and a heart that God is glorified. This should be the continued burden of the church, a heart for the broken and a desire to see, to see healing, whether it's mentally, whether it's physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's socially. But it's a desire to see these things done in a way that brings glory to God. Because yes. outside of that, it's in vain. And when they prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's 31 and 32. Yeah, I think about this text, and I'm like, they said it was filled with the Spirit again. And you start thinking, like, I thought it was filled already with the Spirit. The thing is that it's the baptism of the Spirit versus fillings of the Spirit. The baptisms happens once, but then there's many fillings. Ephesians 5 and 18 says, be filled with the Spirit. And the heart here when it says be filled with the Spirit is being filled constantly and continually. It points to being filled with the Spirit as a lifestyle, an intentional lifestyle. See, that's where many of us struggle at. We struggle with the idea of being filled with the Spirit. A lot of us know a lot of things. We could quote a lot of things. We could respond and say a lot of good things, but we struggle with being filled with the Spirit. We know a lot of theology. Some of us don't know a lot of theology. We've read a lot of books. Some of us haven't read a lot of books. We always know the right thing to say. Some of us never know the right thing to say. But both of us struggle with being filled with the Spirit. Right. Listen, as we get ready to close this thing, I want you to understand the heart of this prayer. They prayed that God would heal people. They prayed that God would continue to display signs that point people to Christ. And they prayed that they would have boldness to glorify Christ in the most threatening and uncomfortable situations. They didn't pray for personal protection. They didn't pray for God to destroy their enemies. There was no aspect of their prayer that was rooted in self-interest. The Spirit-filled life is a life with much death. 
with dying to self over and over and over and over again, with God complementing that, with filling his, his spirit over and over and over again. It's this emptying of yourself. The problem is too many of us are too busy fighting for remnants of ourselves. Fighting to hold on to aspects of ourselves that we believe our identity is wrapped up in. When the thing that we need to do is die completely to ourselves and let God reveal what our real identity is. He's the one that created you, knew you before the beginning of time and created you with his purpose in mind. While you busy fighting for remnants of things that are side effects of things you've experienced during your life. Let go. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for how good you are. How good you continue to be to us, your people, Lord. We thank you for your grace, Lord. That you die for us. That you will restore us. That you will turn us back to you over and over again, Lord. Our prayers, you allow us to hear your truths today, Lord. You cause them to to grow and to bear fruit. We give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 